Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. We're so excited today. We're continuing our Christmas series, Emmanuel. Uh, we are excited today because it's Marathon Day. Woohoo! Everyone cheer. Yeah! We love braving the traffic, getting in here. You know, I was trying to get to the church office this morning, and they stepped up security this year, so I, I couldn't. I was going the wrong way down the street. The police turned us around, and uh, I had to do that a little bit later. But uh, thank you for being here. Does, did anyone get slowed down a little bit? I'm just kind of curious. Raise your hand. There's just a few people. And, you know, going home might be a, an issue too, right? So a lot of times people just hang out at Ala Moana for a few hours and then head home if you're living on the east side. But, uh, you know, Marathon Sunday brings me back to when I used to be in shape. <laughs> used to. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, uh, was blessed by the Lord to be able to try it out and go for it and run a marathon. So 2010... Uh, I decided, you know what, um, I, I just want to be tested and challenged, and I felt the Lord uh, giving me a plan, and I could see it, and so I, you know, really stuck to this plan, and some of you have heard this story before, but I was able to start with the Great Aloha Run, how long is that, six miles, eight miles, eight miles, and for me, that was like eight miles too many, and so, you know, I was like, I don't know what to do. I had these shoes that weren't quite running shoes, like cross trainers. I wore the real baggy pants, you know, the basketball pants. And I entered the Great Aloha Run. And, you know, I was just starting to train a little bit. And I started. And by the time I was done, my pants were, like, basically falling off my... Because it was so drenched with sweat. Then I realized, that's why they wear those little pants, okay? So... I finished the Great Aloha Run. I beat this older lady in the tunnel. She was me and her, and I had to beat her, and I beat her. And I was so proud of myself. And then I moved on to, okay, I'm, I can do this. I'm going to step it up and move a little bit, you know, increase my training, and train, 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 wear the little pants, got the running shoes, got the little, you got all the runner stuff, and I felt like one of the runners. And I was able to run it on that day, and I remember it being so so nervous, but so excited. And so the fireworks went off, five in the morning, and here we go, and we're off, and we're running the marathon. And I was just having a blast, and I felt so good. I was actually ahead of my time, and I was at New Valley coming back, about the 20-mile mark, and boom, I hit the wall, right? You hear about the wall. I had never trained past 20 miles, so I'd never hit the wall in my training, right? But I hit that thing hard, or the wall hit me. And I was down, and all of a sudden, it felt like a snake had bit the back of my thigh, or somebody had shot me in my, thigh, in my hamstring, and I had, it was just a major cramp, so I started stretching it. Oh, Lord, this is like ruining my time. I didn't even want to stop for water, right? And here I am with a cramp. no. And so I stretch it out. Okay, I think I'm ready. And I run about 20 more yards. And oh, my other hamstring. It's like, oh. I, I like looking at my time. I'm seeing people pass me. And it was just a really humbling experience. And so I see all these other people. And it was like that until the end of the race. I'm all the way at Diamond Head now by the fountain. Okay, all you got to do is run from the fountain to the edge of the park. Okay, from one side of the park, Kapiolani Park, to the other. 
and I'm there and I'm laying down by the fountain on the grass and I'm like, oh, I need to finish this thing. And the guy comes up to me and he says, what's wrong? He's a medic. What's wrong? I say, I got crabs, crabs. And he says, what, crabs? <laughs> and this guy had met like a week before in a seminar thing that we had had and I was not a fan of his, okay? He was, I was like, it's the guy. I can't believe it's the same guy. It motivated me so much. I stood up in my pain. I got to get away from this guy. And I run, and I'm running to the finish line. And I'm like 75 yards away from the finish line, and I fall down. Boom, right there where everybody is lying, you know. And my feet, they cramped up so bad, they literally were faced directly in. Try and do that right now with your feet. See how hard that is. Try, go ahead, try. No, seriously, Peter, go, come on. I can't even do it now. My hips won't let me. They were pointed directly at each other. They were stuck like that. And I was laying on the ground, and I hear that older lady say, oh, so sad, he's so close. <laughs> and I'm, I'm laying there looking at them for sympathy, and then all of a sudden, Japanese tourist stops, and like the Good Samaritan, everybody else is running by, right? They're concerned about their time. No time for this guy. But he stops, he gets down, and what does he do? He brings my feet open, and he stretches me out, takes time to stretch me out. Yeah, he was there for a couple minutes at least. So his time was getting, you know, ruined because of me. And here he is, he helps me. Okay, thank you. I'm getting up, I hear a slow clap getting up. And I think, maybe it was in my head, but I hear the slow clap, like the movies, like I'm in Rudy or something. And I'm running, running, and I break it all the way to the finish line, and I cross the finish line, and I explode in tears. <laughs> I don't know if I was in pain, or I was happy to finish, or whatever. So I go to the, the tent, the medic, and he says, what's wrong? Why are you crying? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and I was just so happy to be done. And so that was an amazing experience. That was 2010. And the Lord really helped me get through that with that help of the tourists. Yeah. And then 2011, my mother had passed away in October of that year. And it was such an amazing spiritual time. The Lord was really working in our lives and working in her lives. And we had seen a lot of miracles happen. And she was just gone home to be with the Lord. And the, the marathon's in December, right? A few months later. And I felt the Lord really wanting me to run this. Sort of as a, a testimony that I was going to be able to see him do something that I couldn't do. Because that year, we had been consumed with all kinds of things. And I wasn't able to train. I wanted to run it, but I just didn't train. And so I remember one week before the marathon started, I googled how to run a marathon in a week, or how to train for a marathon in a week. Nothing came up. Nothing. Okay? I was like, nobody is that dumb. Nobody... Nobody starts training for a marathon in a week. That's when they stop training. And two weeks before that, they just stop. They just kind of go easy. And so, you know, I was just running totally on faith. And Lord, like, I know you're going to have to help me just finish this because I knew how hard it was training. And so I just got scriptures, like, written, like, 
you know, cheating on a test. Remember that? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, you write the answer. Oh, oh, your teacher comes by. Oh, no, but I wrote all the stuff on my arm, right? All the scriptures. Got them all up and down my arms. And I'm walking a little bit, running a little bit, like praying the whole time. Lord, and it was a really humbling experience. There were points in the race where I just totally wanted to quit. I was in Hoikai. I saw a lot of my friends' houses. I was just going to walk inside. In fact, coming back to Kahala Avenue, my friend, I knocked on the door. They're having lunch. Can I sit down? I sat down, ate some stuff, took off my shoes. I'm out there on the road just looking at people. I don't care about my time this, this time, right? I'm just looking at people. Hey, how's it? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, oh yeah, just at the water thing, just I'm going to finish, you know, and oh, it was amazing. Hanging out, you see the guy, he runs in the, what, the getta slippers? His feet are all bloody, you know, he passed me. He runs like this fast in his Japanese slippers, oh man, amazing. But I finished, the Lord helped me to finish. And I felt like both of those times were amazing. But the second one was even more powerful because I felt like the Lord just carried me along. He carried me along. And that's, you know, my marathon stories. And it, I, today I just want to talk about how our Savior is so good because he came so humbly. His life is so powerful because of it, this aspect of humility in the Christmas story. Let's pray. Lord, we just say thank you, God, that you are so good, that you are so amazing. Lord, all things are possible with you. You are the God of miracles. Why, Lord? Because you let your power be manifested in your humility. Lord, you come to us so gently, so humbly. And Lord, the world takes notice of that. Heaven takes notice of that. And Lord, we ask that today you would go ahead and do something good in us and through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week, Pastor Mark, he preached an awesome message about God's promise through Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Even 700 plus years before Jesus would come to earth, that heaven was coming to earth. Heaven would invade earth and God is sending a savior and his name would be Jesus. And his nickname would be Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's awesome. I love that name. I love that name, Emmanuel. Isaiah 7.14. All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God would come and be a man. Flesh and bone. What about before he came to earth, where was Jesus? Jesus, it's John 1. Today, we're going to go through a few verses, this being one of the main ones. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So, let's take it a little slowly. In the beginning was the Word. Talking about the very beginning, right? The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Wow. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. What is John trying to tell us here? He's trying to lay out Jesus, the Word, 
He existed eternally. He existed with God eternally. He existed as God eternally. Then he goes on to say that everything in the universe was made through Jesus. Powerful stuff. Colossians 1, 15 says, the, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Just like John said, right? Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The entire universe is created through and for Jesus. Wow, for the glory of Jesus. That's awesome. Whew. Everything in all of creation is held together in Jesus. Adam's cells, everything would just go split apart, but it's held together in who? Person of Jesus. That's awesome. John 1, 1 through 3 again. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Last week, Pastor Mark gave a great example to start his sermon, talking about all the stars in the universe. Remember that? There's more stars in the visible, known universe than there are grains of sand on the earth. Wow. That's just the visible universe. Think about the layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of this ever-expanding universe. Amazing stuff. That's how big... Our God is his creation. It's all for Jesus, through Jesus. In him, all things hold together. There's so much out there, stars, galaxies, etc. And God chose to come to this little speck of a speck of a speck called earth and become a man. John 1, 14, the word became flesh. Goes, John goes on to say, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and bone. He became a man. So John, he kind of goes and does a theological overview of who Emmanuel is. Right? Jesus is the God of the universe who became a man. He was conceived in the womb and was born. He experienced the normal process of aging growing up. He had natural physical needs. He had human emotions. Jesus learned, he had a physical, he died a physical death, and he was resurrected with a physical body. So Jesus was a human being, a man, in every way except for what? Sin. Jesus lived a completely sinless life. He's a spotless lamb of God. So that's John's theological overview. And then Luke, Luke gives a little bit of a different Angle of the story of Jesus becoming flesh, becoming a man. His is much more personal. It's the story of a little baby. Christmas story, we always use Luke chapter 2, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David 
Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. So Emmanuel, little Emmanuel was there. Little baby Jesus, he's there. And you think about all the things babies do. Babies, he's crying. He's burping. He's spitting up, you know. Remember that? I remember those days, right? That was what Jesus was doing. He's pooping. Little baby Jesus, okay? Is it? Is that wrong to say in church? No, but you know what? That's what he was doing as a little baby. And when we talk about these kinds of things, it's kind of, is it sacrilegious? I don't think so. But it's a little embarrassing. It strikes us as, oh, it's a little bit embarrassing talking about the Savior of the world the creator and master of the universe, becoming a little baby and doing all these kinds of things normal little babies do. But this is how God chose to come and be with us, to become flesh, to make his home, his dwelling among us. He was vulnerable. He depended on his parents to take care of him, other people to take care of him, to raise him, to make sure he was safe, to take care of his needs, he was human. What a humble beginning for our Savior's life here on earth. The humility in which God came to us marks him. And it marks all of us as well. From the very beginning, we see that Jesus was wrapped. He was clothed in humility. You can write this in your notes for your first point. Emmanuel is clothed in humility. <clears throat> that's something we really want to focus on this Christmas. And I think our church go a little bit deeper, push through those barriers that we believe that we've, well, you know what, yeah, maybe I'm humble in this area, but there are certain areas where we all could use more humility. Amen? So what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean? Definition, according to Webster, humility is defined as Freedom from pride or arrogance. Freedom from pride or arrogance. Thinking about the devil, Satan. You know, he was an angel in heaven, and he's completely the opposite. Satan, what is he known for? Being prideful. In fact, he got him, and a third of all the angels kicked out of heaven because of their pride Landed them in hell. It was made for the devil and his angels. And humility is the freedom from all of that. It's the exact opposite of where Satan's coming from. The freedom from pride or arrogance. And you know, I love being around people who have humility, great humility. And when you're around people who are humble, you like it and you want it. You want to be next to them. You're like, I want some of this to rub off onto me. I just see something so appealing, so powerful there in their lives. You know, in Vanessa's class, she teaches middle schoolers. And she was telling me as we were talking about this sermon, she was telling me, you know what, so, so weird this past week, my students, they were talking about what do they see most in Jesus and they said, and want most from Jesus? It's humility. I was like, wow. That's just 
so easy to see in the life of Christ. And we want it so bad. Even middle schoolers want it. Okay? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I love this verse. Come to me, Jesus said. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is who Jesus is. He's gentle. He's not a wimp. He's a tough guy. But he's gentle and humble in heart. And that's where you find rest. That's the kind of clothes that Jesus can wrap around you. He wraps his arms around you, puts his yoke over you, and that's where you find rest for your soul. Amen? And in the midst of our busyness of Christmas and our just lives in general, it's just so nice to be able to be knowing our Savior wants to come and wrap his arms around us and clothe us with humility this Christmas season, right? So he's gentle, he's humble in heart. And the world isn't used to humility. They see these things, character traits, as being a weakness, right? Not a strength. So a lot of people have seen this sticker on people's cars, and it says, don't confuse aloha with, anyone know? Weakness. Don't confuse aloha with weakness, right? And what do they have under that sticker? It's like an AK-47 or something, right? <laughs> okay? I'm like, wow! You know? Don't confuse aloha with weakness. And, you know, that's, for me, that's just a prideful way of saying, right? We're here in Hawaii, and we have a lot of aloha, but, you know, don't walk all over us, because if you do, <laughs> okay? So, is that humility? Is that aloha? No, it's not, right? It's funny. I just get, I crack up at that. Don't confuse aloha with weakness, right? Don't take advantage of me. Humility is the exact opposite. You know, there's another word that I really like. It's very similar to humility. It's the word meekness. Meekness is a, is a great word. Meek can be defined gentle, quiet, easily imposed on, or submissive. And people confuse weakness with humility. People confuse weakness with meekness. This like sounds alike. It should probably be the same word, right? Weak, meek. No. I love the word meek and meekness. Why? Because I think of Jesus. I think of the lion and the lamb. This is what I think of. I think of it as defined as quiet strength. That's powerful stuff, right? Quiet strength. So meekness, according to the Bible, is a little bit different than the general definition Meekness, according to the Bible, is being humble and gentle towards others and willingly being submissive and obedient to the Lord. Being obedient to the Lord. It's having a quiet but confident trust in the Lord and being willing to do whatever it is that God commands us to do. And when I think of humility, meekness, I think of it 
as an earthly example, I think of Mother Teresa, right? Mother Teresa is an awesome example. She was four foot like ten. Okay? She was not even five feet. And I'm sure when she got older, she was like four or five. Okay? So she was like a little thing. And Mother Teresa's life just blows us away. Right? We think of her, what she's done. She, I was reading a little bit from this book. It's called Seven Women. I don't know if anybody, has anybody here read that or gotten a hold of it, heard of it? Yeah. It's an awesome book. I totally recommend it. It just goes over different women throughout history. God has used in amazing ways. Mother Teresa just finishes off the book. It's so good. And, you know, she was uh, born in Eastern Europe, and uh, she had a very poor family. Her dad died when she was eight years old. Her mother had next to nothing. But her mother was a great example of humility kindness, sacrifice. She would bring in strangers. She would bring in children to their home. She'd always be praying with the children. I think they had eight or nine children. And they were just loving. She said there was, even though they were so poor, had nothing, there was so much joy in their home. Because they concentrated on what was most important. And so she had a, like a youth pastor, a priest, and he was, made Jesus, you know, just, come alive and serving people and she saw the example of her mother and she said i want to live a life devoted to the lord and her youth pastor encouraged that she ended up going off training to be a catholic nun in ireland for a little while and then she went in 1929 to calcutta india where she was working with the poorest of the poor and so she was uh, there working for 20 years, and then she got this call within a call to go out, and you know what? I want to start something even a little bit different and new and go and meet people in the streets, the children who are literally dying there, rotting away, nobody taking care of them in the streets. And so she went on this awesome journey to be able to meet people in the streets. And so... God just used her in amazing ways. She didn't go out looking for fame, but the world, God took notice. Why? Because of her humility. Her humility was so attractive. She ended up having people from all over the world, news agencies, TVs, all these things, talking about her, and she got world famous, right? Wow, and then she was able to start different homes, Missions of charity in different nations all around the world. And, you know, she would travel. And she said, you know, I, I feel so bad spending money on travel in the airplane. You know what she wrote to the airlines? I will work as a flight attendant if you let, give me discount. <laughs> no, Mother Teresa. <laughs> wow, so humble. So powerful. And Mother Teresa, she, she gave this great quote. She said, if you are humble, nothing will touch you. Neither praise nor disgrace, because you know what you are. If you, if you are blamed, you will not be discouraged. Wow, I like that. And this is the opposite. If they call you a saint, like they were for her, you will not put yourself on a pedestal. You know who you are in Jesus. You know who you are. Mother Teresa's example is so powerful, so amazing, but the ultimate example of humility is Jesus Christ. Jesus' humble lifestyle, 
right? He was born into poor, poor family. He was raised <clears throat> in starting his ministry, and he was a homeless person. Basically, he had no home, just depended on the Lord, depended on his father. Such humble words, but was he powerful? Wow, yes, so powerful. I love this example in John where he goes on to explain who Jesus is and his humility when he washes his disciples' feet. Let me go ahead and read to you John chapter 13. You know, washing feet was a task left for the who? The servants. People who, you know, like the lowest of the low that they, they would come in, their feet would be completely disgusting and dirty and pe- the servants would wash their feet. But Jesus washes his disciples' feet. John 13 It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel, the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, what? I don't think this right, Lord. Verse 7, Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. and You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. But when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to, this pla- to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, this is the important part, you also also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Wow. What a powerful example of humility. And we are to follow that example. We are to imitate Jesus' humility. It isn't easy. In fact, it's impossible. But we are called by God to say, You know, Lord, in humility, I'm going to come before you I'm going to die to myself, the things that I think I'm entitled to or I should be doing or shouldn't be doing, and I'm going to see your example and I'm going to let you take over and I'm going to watch you walk, work through my life. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And you can write this down. This is our action point. Number two, live a life clothed with humility. Die to yourself and see God use you to bring life to others. When you die to yourself and get over 
ourselves, God has an amazing way of working through us so powerfully. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What a joy, what a privilege it is to be somebody who is sharing in the ministry of Jesus Christ, this humble ministry that serves others. That serves others. So now what? What about for ourselves? Just think about it. God's going to maybe bring some areas of our lives. Are there any areas of our lives that we are prideful, that we really need God to touch us and say, you know what? You need a little bit more humility or maybe a lot more humility in others, in your life. Maybe, you know, a lot of times the area that we're really good in, we think we got it all figured out, that might be an area to watch, right? Because we say, oh, okay, you know, I got this. A lot of times we have our own routines and we say, Lord, that's not what I do. That's not who I am. I've reached a certain social status and I would not go down there again or ever. And the Lord is saying, I want you down there. You know, Mother Teresa said, I, she had a lot of different things on how to be humble. It's amazing. It's really cool. And one of them was choose the harder thing. When you have a choice, you know, a lot of times we choose the easier thing. Choose the harder thing. Choose the thing that's going to make you, you know, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, God can work in all of us, I think. There are certain areas of our lives. So think about that. Lord, bring, bring it to light. Is there certain areas of my life that I need to be more humble in? You know, I, this Christmas, I want to connect more. And I sense the Lord moving in my life, drawing me closer to Him this Christmas. And it's good. Spending more time with him, being able to just soak in his presence, soak in his word. And you know, I want this Christmas to be different. And I want it to be a launching pad for the rest of the year, next year. But for the rest of my life. And that's so good. God is giving grace to me. Would you find your joy? Would you find your satisfaction? Would you find your identity in who Jesus is? He was a servant. He was someone who had so much humility. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Talk about dying to self. He literally died on the cross for us. And we are to do the same. Church, would you pick up your cross and follow Jesus? I'm going to go ahead and close with uh, Philippians chapter 2. And verses 1 through 11. I, I love this. This is who Jesus is. And this is how we are to follow Jesus. Oh, no problem. How we are to follow Jesus. He's just going for humility. Humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, 
Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships, church, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we think about our relationships with one another. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what happened? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself in the most amazing of ways. He came to earth as a little baby. He grew up, he lived perfect, sinless life. Yet we crucified him. But there he gave up his life. He humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. And we're to follow him there and die to ourselves. And then he raises us up in Christ. He lifts us up to the highest places. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to Close in prayer. I'm going to ask us to do a few things now while we have some time, which is nice. Before we close with a final worship song, I wanted us to be able to let the Holy Spirit speak to us about certain areas of our lives that He can really zero in and touch us that we would be able to see these points in our lives that would be just between us and the Lord. That we would say, Lord, I need to die to that. I need to die to myself in this area or that area. We're going to spend a couple of minutes just soaking, letting the Holy Spirit come speak to us. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to us now, God, that we would be able to say, Lord, yeah, those are some areas where we need more humility. We can't do that on our own. So Holy Spirit, Come right now, Lord, bring it to our brains, bring it to our minds. There's somebody here that says, Oh, I don't need anything. Oh, you need the most. That's a bad place to be. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That you would lay yourself out this on the floor if you want to even just go ahead and you want to get down on your knees or sit down whatever it is that you would be in that place where you let the Holy Spirit speak to you say less of me God more of you
So if, as Pastor Sonny and the worship team are singing, go ahead and have a seat. I'm just going to ask that you would go ahead and take some time. There's going to be some of our ushers passing out pens to you if you don't have a pen. I'm going to ask you you would take a, a practical step right now that you would even write down a few of those things that we would leave here with some things that we can work on, that we would be able to say, Lord, I'm, I'm writing this down because, Lord, I want to take it seriously. I want to ask that there would be an area of my life that you would give me your humility in. You know, this church, I believe one of our greatest strengths is how the Lord has given us a humility. You know, he's there's a lot of just really able, capable people here. Amazing people. Amen to that? And you know, it's so cool because I we get to see it. We get to be around one another. There's a person to the left of you, right of you, just think about it. There's somebody who's most likely just a humble guy, a humble person, a humble woman. And that's awesome. That's the real sh- power the Lord can work through us and move through us. But Lord, I would just pray that we would say we're going to go to that next level and go even lower. Make ourselves even less. Less and less that the Lord would be increased, that we would see His power come through into our lives, into our families, into our, our jobs in an even more amazing way as He takes over. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for our church, God, that every single one of us, Lord, would be blessed, would be filled this morning with Your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we would see you work in our hearts to serve those, Lord, that you called us to serve, that we would go to places, that we would do the things, Lord, that our hearts would be transformed to go to the lowest of places. And it wouldn't be a false humility, Lord, but it would be genuine because it would be from you. We receive it now. Just tell the Lord you receive it now, that you receive everything he wants to give you to accomplish his mission to serve others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.